The main problem convincing people to act is their own comfort. So on the one hand, it's important to have the right trigger points for people to act. And it's paramount for us that customer service is really good. What we realized is one of the most important parts is trust. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. My name is Oliver Aust. I'm a best-selling author and CEO of EO Ipsa Communications. We have a wonderful guest here today. His name is Jan Rabe. And Jan is the co-founder and CEO of three companies, Vexipilot, Rubbercharge, and Robert Energy. All three have a common mission and it convince us as energy users to go for more renewable, greener sources. Hey Jan, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Oliver. What are you most passionate about at the moment? Um, I think it's a very, very exciting time because uh, on the one, one hand, we have the change to renewable energies. And then on the same side as well, there's like the change in the field of mobility. So a lot of change happening in, in the field of mobility, going into uh, topics like electric vehicles, batteries, storages, and, and so on. And, and that's something I'm very excited about and uh, trying to help with my three companies to do a shift in, in these fields. Uh, it's super impressive that you founded three companies, but they have a common mission. How, how would you describe your mission? I think my mission is really like uh, to make change possible. So that is Robert Energy more focusing on, on the technical part, like how to enable power plants to become more flexible and use their flexibility to enable the growth of renewables. Then there's Vexipilot trying to convince customers to really optimize the energy contracts and, and taking over the hustle for the customer. And there's Robert Charge uh, focusing on a time-dependent tariff for customers who have electric vehicles and enabling them um, to get the cheapest price and delivering flexibility to the system. Uh, it's super interesting. I mean, we all know that con shifting consumer behavior is actually one of the hardest parts of the energy transition, which we see internationally everywhere and which is absolutely crucial in you know, ensuring that we combat climate change and are on a more sustainable path. So how, you've been in this business for quite a few years now. What, what's your main takeaway? How do you actually convince people to shift to renewable energy sources? I mean, um, I think like 10 years ago, um, energy was not really sexy. So you had conventional power plants producing and like electricity coming out of the, of the wall, you could say. That, uh, I would say, have, has changed uh, due to the great publicity within the last, I would say, two years, maybe, with all the discussion around climate change and the need to act much faster than we have acted in the past. So like 10 years ago, many people were, were, were not really uh, conscious about uh, the topic of energy at all. And now it's really like a great movement towards uh, renewable energy sources, action against the climate change. And, and we see a lot of uh, things happening in, in the media, but as well on a, on a personal level. So um, people investing in electric vehicles, for example, and, and pushing it on a personal behavior level. Yeah. I mean, if you ask 100 people, most would probably say, uh, yes, we should all do more to combat climate change. But when it comes to, you know, changing your electricity supplier, for instance, 
which probably doesn't take a lot of time or effort, it, it's still, I guess, hard to convince people, right? Because there's inertia yeah. in the system. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the, the main problem convincing people to act is their own comfort. So uh, humans are comfortable persons and um, we don't like to go out of the, of the comfort zone. And so on the one hand, it's important to have the right trigger points for people to act and reach the people as well at the times of these trigger points. So in the field of energy, of course, it's like if utilities increase their prices, then normally people are more keen to act and change their utility, for example. And on the other hand, in terms of renewable energies, of course, if there's bad coverage around carbon emissions, for example, of course, people are also more keen on getting green tariffs, for example. So you mentioned that there are certain trigger points. Could, could you talk us through the process of how you convince someone? Um, because you, you potentially don't know when someone is moving house or whether someone is following the news about rising electricity prices. So what kind of touch points do you create with consumers? I think it's really important to have a brand awareness from the beginning. So you, you try to get in contact with the people before these trigger points already so that these people remind you as a service or as a person or, um, and so on that you're the one that can handle these problems in the right moment. And of course, then this, the, the major topic is as well then like to retarget these people in the right moments. So. Of course, like for example, um, at the moment it's a really, really interesting time because energy prices are rising like hell um, due to some external factors, but uh, still there will be a lot of uh, increases in prices. And, and so you can see a bit in the future what will come. So a lot of utilities will increase their prices and then you have to be ready to target these customers by social media, by as well by Zia and Google. And, and so that's our main uh, focus, like to get like a continuous brand traction to the customer, but then as well, like target the customers by the right channels. Yeah, and they would then go on Pilot and they would then see what, what the best option for them would be to change the electricity provider, for instance, right? Correct, yeah. Now, this seems like quite a, quite a big task um, because we all are electricity users. We all usually have a contract with one supplier or another. Um, and, you know, if you build a brand basically for the whole of the population, that seems like a quite a, quite a big task. So what, what have you learned in the last few years of how to target or what not to do? What, what you realize is um, that still energy is uh, a topic that is more focused on, on um, the male population than the female ones. I think that is maybe as well because it's more like a financial topic, not, maybe not so sexy, not so interesting. And, and so that is what we realized uh, on the one hand. But as well, you see an increasing share of people who are looking for green terrors. So you always have to keep with the movements that are happening in the general population. So for us as well, like we realized that if we partner with, uh, for example, financial institutions like banks or financial service providers, apps, um, this is normally the right trigger point when to um, put the customer in contact with our product. Because if, for example, he's looking for um, buying a gin, for example, he, he will not switch his energy contract. He's not in the mood for that. But if he's doing a financial optimization, maybe that's an added value which we can deliver to the customer. 
Okay, interesting. So you look for these mental connections that uh, you know people have, and, and where it's only a small step to maybe changing the electricity supply. So I think moving house and a recently moved house, so that's probably one as well. Absolutely, you tend, to, you tend to inherit an electricity contract from someone, and then basically ask yourself the question: Is that the best for me? And but but mentioning like the moving part, it's really interesting concerning energy because like for every other product. You have to choose it by yourself. But in the term of energy in, in Germany, you, you have the contract directly if you move into a house. So it's the only product which you not really choose yourself, which is given to you. And that's also the problem in the mindset of the people. So, for example, if you are moving and you need an internet contract, you have to buy it. But the energy contracts like power and gas, you just have them. And that's a bit of... The tricky part, like um, then get the customers convinced uh, to really s look for a better tariff to switch, because of course, uh, if you're moving, you have uh, a lot of stuff uh, to do, and uh, maybe that's not the focus point. I love to go deeper here because I'm really interested in your message market fit. So let's say I'm interested. Go well, out, you, you you have me on your hook. Um, yeah. The next question is, what kind of messages or persuasion techniques work? Is it to tell me it will only take five minutes? Uh, as long as it takes to make a cup of tea or is it oh you will save money you know mm -hmm. what's what's the trigger point that works it's a combination of both you you um, need um, of course like uh, some sort of saving potential so that you save money then of course it's also like it it shouldn't be a hustle so it should take not ages to to do the switching process but to sign up let, let's say within five minutes And, and then the other part is, of course, like the comfort. So what we offer as a service is like that we look for better tariffs year by year. We are doing the switching processes. We are taking over communications uh, for the customer. And so uh, it's a kind of premium product um, where the customer still be comfortable and at the same time save money. And I think that's the combination that is really important as well to convince the customer. So just do it one time, you don't have to do it again. And be aware that uh, concerning your um, preferences, we are looking for the best tariff year by year. And how important is the environmental message in this mix? Uh, uh, increasingly important. So like um, from our customers, like uh, I would say five years ago, around 10% of the customer uh, were choosing a green tariff. Um, By now, it's uh, up to 40% of the population wanting, wanting to have a green tariff. Um, uh, but, but still, you have to say that there are big differences between uh, the segment of green tariffs because it's uh, a process of certificates in, in the background. Um, and so, uh, but that is something that's really hard to explain to normal customers. Yeah, I can imagine. What have you found out in recent years uh, in terms of messaging that does not work in terms um, of convincing customers? Yeah. Well, um, we, we do partner with a lot of companies and what we realized is uh, one of the most important parts is trust. So people really choose uh, or get offers from companies they trust while rejecting um, offers Uh, from uh, companies they don't trust. And, and so it depends a bit like as well in terms of the communication, like if a partner 
for example, a bank that is saying, I'm doing like energy optimization now. Customers will not believe it. They don't believe that a bank is the best service provider for doing energy contract optimization. And, and so uh, in, in these contexts, it's always better to position um, Bexel Pilot as a service provider, as a premium service provider uh, to the customer and not saying the bank is doing the service. While for other companies who are doing financial optimization, like financial apps, um, there we uh, as well are integrated as white label services. Um, and so the, the customer gets a whole package of, of services, not just energy optimization, but as well tax optimization and so on. And, and that's, uh, that does work quite well, even if there is Wexel Pilot not in the focus, for example. Mm. How, how specifically do you create that trust that you need uh, for people to trust you with, your, with their time and money? The, the most valuable things usually what they, yeah. what they consider to be very valuable. I mean, uh, that's a, a mixture of, of the customer service uh, we are providing. So, um, of course, customers look in the internet for valuations. That's a very important source for, for customers. So, uh, the, the Google valuations, the Facebook valuations, Trustpilot and, and other sources. And um, on the other hand, of course, uh, uh, for example, we were valued as a very uh, good service by Stiftung Warentest, which is a really highly uh, rewarded um, certificate in Germany. And, and so it's a mixture of valuations from Google, Facebook, but as well, of course, the customer experience as well, like calling the customer service, how is the, how's the person acting? Do you reach some, someone? I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess you know it as well, like if you have trouble, for example, with a flight ticket or something, normally you never reach someone at the, at the customer service. And for us, it's really, uh, uh, important uh, that the customers have the possibility to reach someone within a short period of time. Yeah, you, you won actually a prize for your for your service, right? The German service prize, uh, yeah. where you were selected as, as outstanding in this field. So I'd, I'd love to go a little bit deeper on that. Uh, I know how hard it is from a management perspective to get to offer good customer service. So when you have poor customer service, it's it's often not that there's no will to do it, but it's very hard to actually execute. Yeah. So how do you do it? Do you have it in-house? How do you train your people? Yeah. How do you keep them on board? Because that's always hard in, in customer service. It's, it's a really ch challenging task, I have to say, but um, I think it's very important that you put it on a management level. And, and so for us, um, we always said it's, it's paramount for us that customer service is really good. And, and so we have um, tried to make a setup where we optimized every process that was possible to have time for the off-standard processes and take time for the customers as well. Um, additionally, we have all the customer support in-house in Hamburg. So we didn't put it in another country or someone. We said it's, it's a core business for us. And of course, you need an incentive structure that the head of customer service not just has his um, like uh, analytical goals, like how many emails he, he's doing per hour, but of course as well like the valuation stuff. So how good is the valuation of, of Excel Pilot uh, in the public? And, and so we have a mixture of analytical uh, goals, but as well like the quality goals. And, and that is 
really, really important to set up a customer service which you like for yourself. And I guess another uh, crux is how, how much leeway, how much freedom do you give the individual customer service agent, right? So uh, are you very prescriptive or do you give them a lot of freedom to decide what's best for the customer? How do you handle that question? Um, as we do a lot of processes automatically, for the other processes who are not automatically, we give quite a lot of freedom so that the individual um, uh, support member can, can choose what to do. And, and we believe that this is possible because, of course, we do a lot of education on how to act in these moments, on how to inter interact as well with the customer. Yeah, makes makes sense. I'm just wondering. I mean, let's change tack for a little. Talked about Maxi uh, Pilo, but also yeah. interested in you as a person, Jan. So yeah, you um, you studied physics, I believe. How yeah. how did you get into the world of startups and energy? Yeah, uh, it it took me quite some time. So I studied physics in Munich. Um, I was working for an international utility in Switzerland, um, doing power plant optimization. And, and then afterwards went to a business school in Madrid um, before starting in, in Berlin for a small service provider um, in 2011. They were doing like uh, the integration of renewable energies in the system, selling the power uh, over the, the power exchange. And um, actually, I was uh, talking a lot with, with Max Minion, my co-founder at that time. We were working together in the, in the old company. And, and always felt the need to improve things and, and uh, do it better than it was done in, in the old company. And we realized that uh, this is just possible if you do your own thing. And we always liked to take over responsibility as well. And, and so we created our first company in 2014. And, and that was the beginning. And uh, since then, we are working together. And um, maybe what is also interesting is like in the beginning, we. We are both physics uh, background and, and working on the same stuff. So we literally were doing the same stuff and, and controlling each other uh, if it was correct and, and uh, trading algorithms, for example. And, and then we learned like it's not sustainable on the long run. There's too much stuff to do. And, and so we focus on different stuff. So Max uh, now is focusing on, on the IT, on the operations side, while I'm more in the finance and sales part. And, and that's a really nice development as well for for someone personally like to seeing the different perspectives and then developing on a personal level yeah uh, it makes a lot of sense and why did you decide to uh, set up more companies because basically yeah. i'm sure is already quite a handful to manage so they said okay let's let's set up another couple of companies uh, Wexel Pilot was the second one. So we first founded Robot Energy uh, in 2014, and um, we built this company. We were boot, or we are still bootstrapping this company for seven years now. We're doing consultancy work there. We're doing um, some software components for for the German uh, power market. At a certain time in 2060, uh, there were uh, a high um, push from the big uh, utilities into the market and it was quite challenging for, for Robert Energy at that time. And as well, our, our trading algorithm was optimized, so we had some time to think about new stuff. And that was the beginning of Exopilot. So we thought about what was wrong in the, in the market for, for households. And we set up with Wexelpilot the optimal model, like how to optimize your own um, power contracts. That was something we were doing for five years now. 
one year ago, like there was a lot of push coming into the field of um, electric vehicles. And with the knowledge of Wexel Pilot on, on the sales side and the knowledge on the, on the core energy processes from Brabant Energy, we had a perfect mixture to set up a, a really sustainable uh, business model for like contracts, time variable to contracts for electric vehicles. And, and we said that's perfect timing. It's a big market that's coming up. So we have to take the chance to, to set up this uh, third company. And um, well, the, the big challenge is like to manage then uh, three companies at the same time. And, uh, but it's, it's, uh, how, how do you do that? <laughs> it's a lot of time actually, of course. Um, but as well, it's about people and, and you have to find the right people for, for the right jobs. And, and, and so on, on our way, we really found some, some inspiring people, um, who take over more and more responsibility within some companies. So we can focus on, on the, I would say the hot stuff. So the, the, the things that are more standardized, we can give to these people who are acting in kind of a way as a manager. And, and then we can focus on, on new projects, um, setting up uh, new projects and, and going into these fields. Do, do you time block? Do you have specific times in the week, for instance, where you focus on one company and then the next day on another? Or how, how do you how do you organize your week? Um, no, actually, it's uh, I mean, um, for example, Robot Energy is uh, quite straightforward because we have a management there who, who is doing the job. So we are interacting on, on a advisory role, I would say, and doing some sales um, meetings. Um, but within Wexel Pilot and Robert Charge, um, we are quite flexible as well uh, due to our um, shareholder structure. We're both invested in both companies. They trust us um, to get the most shareholder value out of, of the two businesses uh, by trusting us um, allocate our time in the right way. Yeah, you mentioned investors. I want to ask you about this because um, you have some investors and some well-known yeah. angel investors at that. Um, but your companies don't seem to be VC plays where you uh, grow them uh, as fast as possible, go for a lot of funding, increase the valuation, etc. Could you speak to that? It seems quite uh, a, bit, a bit unusual in this day and age. It's, um, I would say it's kind of development. So, um I think VCs have a, a, huge, a huge advantage uh, in terms of money and, and scaling up really, really fast. We uh, decided in the beginning that we were rather focused on, on setting up a solid basis in the beginning and, and, and then scaling with a really sustainable business model. That's why we don't focus our sales too much on on like Google AdWords and, and uh, or TV, uh, but rather on partnerships. So we are really keen of getting partners who, who see the value of sustainable business models and, and they cooperate or partnering with uh, DKB with the bank or MLP with the financial service provider. And that was kind of a different approach which we took as well, of course, to keep it as our company. So we still have the majority and, and that's also a strategic positioning of, of ourselves, of our mission and how, how we want to do things. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I mean, you're, you're uniquely positioned out there in, in the sort of whole discussion about energy transition. There are a lot of people obviously talking about it from different perspectives, but um, I think that deep knowledge about how the energy market and, and energy works is, is sometimes lacking in the debate, I find. Yeah, especially in the political debate. I mean, uh, you, you see it uh, directly if a politician understands the matters, One, one really um, like big example is like the topic around increasing the share of renewables within Germany, which is uh, subvention-based in Germany. And on the other hand, you have a CO2 market on a European level. And, and that is completely stupid because if you increase the share of renewables in Germany, then this will lead to a decreasing price in CO2 and in other countries of the European Union, CO2 emissions will go up. And, and so instead of creating a unique European market with a, with a, uh, a common uh, subvention system, common goals, uh, still every country is acting on its own. And that's really not the right way. And we hope that this will change in the future. Uh, interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Um, given your knowledge in this field, do you have any ambition to be more public, uh, speaking out about the political, the policy side of things, or do you want to stick to your guns and, and remain so focused on the businesses? I, I, I would love to, uh, because uh, I, I, I like to uh, change things. Um, so I, I would love to. Uh, it's, it's rather a time question. So uh, I'm quite busy with the businesses and focusing on that. But I would really appreciate um, if there would be more people who have knowledge in the debate instead of like politicians who just see the surface um, talking about this stuff. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Uh, I also wanted to ask about uh, crises or critical situations. I mean, you've been running businesses for seven years, so there are always ups and downs in business. What was the biggest communications crisis or challenge you faced so far? Um, the, the biggest challenges for, for startups are always financing rounds. So I guess, so we had one time, um, financing round, uh, where we had two, um, uh, investors and, uh, one is a, a listed company and the supervisory board, uh, didn't accept the, the deal like two days before the, the notary was. And so you had to do a lot of communications to several stakeholders like the other investor and so on and so on. And that was really a challenging time because it was like so much effort in, in the whole process, like hours and hours with the, with the lawyers and so on. And, and then to keep up with a positive mind, if you uh, get hit, uh, then that was quite challenging. But in the end, of course, like it's, uh, it's something you, you always remember and it makes you stronger. And maybe in the next, uh, the next uh, investment rounds were then more straightforward because you were um, like focusing on the critical points before. And that is uh, something um, that is, in my opinion, really important like to, to um, do from the beginning is like talking about the critical stuff. So not just talking the good stuff in the beginning and then at the end you, you come to the bad, bad points or the critical points, um, but put them on the table and, uh, at the beginning already. Yeah, that, that's super fascinating actually. Could, could you speak a little bit more to what was the sticky point and how did you convince them 
uh, afterwards in order you know, for, for them to decide to still go ahead with the investment? I mean, um, critical points, I would say, in, in these terms of investments are always like to, to put on the table from the beginning what does each party want, like in terms of shares, in terms of monetary stuff, but as well in terms of control. Um, for example, um, uh, one, one shareholder, he was keen from the beginning of getting 25%. And um, that was something um, that we clearly said would not happen, but we never put it in a, in a written LOE, for example. And, and so I guess it was gone in the process and then came up at, at the end in the, in the discussion of the supervisory board. So that is something that is really important, like to put it in an email to write down, um, that is our understanding, is it correct? To, to make it really clear on a, on a written level and not just talking about stuff and both parties think they have the same opinion, but uh, in reality, it's something, something uh, rather different. And, and so that is something you have to, to handle and then to solve stuff. Of course, it's, it's very important to get the feeling, uh, to have the empathy, um, to have the feeling what is really important and uh, what are the critical points you have to focus on. And, and is it acceptable or not? And if you come to a conclusion that it's not acceptable, then it doesn't make sense to, to go on. And this is something that saves a lot of time if you do this in the beginning. Hmm. I mean, most pitch tech are 100% positive, right? Of course, yeah. you're trying to sell your company, but it sounded as if you recommend, or at least that's your experience, that if there are issues, you should address them and you know put them out in the open and uh, refute them if possible. Yeah, you you should, yeah, I agree, but you shouldn't put them in the pitch deck. So pitch decks should still be uh, very positive. And, and of course, your attitude should be very positive as well. Um, I think to every investor, it's clear that uh, there are obstacles for every company to make everything really like too, too good uh, is also not good, I would say. It, uh, it's kind of alarming, uh, alarming glocks coming out of the investors. So um, I, would, I would say it's really um, a mixture. Like you have to be in the pitch deck. It should be really, really uh, focused on, on the vision and the status which you want to achieve in which you believe and and then of course like your attitude as well but it's it's no problem to put on let's say uh, like put out uh, two problems that are there and and name them and uh, of course it's always good if you have a, a a plan b what what to do when these uh, problems arise let's say mm. so so these points are more a metaphor dis discussion conversation yeah. q a rather than being in the pitch deck yeah, i mean i, I, I mean yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's a good investor, uh, he will ask the questions anyway. So it's it's better if you put them on the table already. So I yeah, say. yeah, yeah, that's good. Good point. Good point. What, what's next for you guys? I mean, you have you have big plans, and uh, you know the energy the energy transition is gaining momentum for sure. So what have you planned for the next few years? I mean, um, in terms of the different companies, I would say Robot Energy is really uh, keen and focused um, on supporting as well utilities as well as uh, industrial companies to to uh, get the energy transition done. So um, to get renewables in their portfolio to optimize flexibilities. So we try to help them on, on the technical or on the financial side in this sense. 
Then, of course, uh, for Wexel pilots, uh, it's, uh, the, the main goal is to scale up in the field of energy, but uh, we want to increase our portfolio. So we just started uh, the optimization of internet contracts. Um, so we tried to go more broader and, and try to optimize different products for, for our customers. And then, and of course, in terms of rubber charge, uh, we want to gain momentum because it's it's the perfect timing for a product like this. And, and we will see a lot of increase in electric vehicles. So I would say uh, I, I can't really believe that there's a lot of uh, a large share in three years of conventional cars anymore in Germany. So we, we see this in Norway already. And I, I believe we will have it in Germany as well. There will uh, a lot of problems arise because the power consumption will go up and, and we need to have smart models. And, and we tried to build one with a really intelligent solution, um, giving the, the customers the option to use it um, and, and get our smartness into their house, houses. That's a great, uh, great closing statement. <laughs> Before we have to wrap it up, Jan, what would be your final piece of communications advice? I would say um, uh, put, put the problems on the table right from the beginning, communicate transparent with, with all kind of stakeholders, be it investors, partners, uh, employees as well, of course, but uh, don't act as another person. So there are different approaches of communication. So, uh, I mean, if you are open-minded, then just also be open-minded and, and uh, don't get close-minded because uh, you're afraid of saying something. So I, I don't believe there's one approach, but there are several. But I would say really the most important things are uh, be positive, be yourself, but also put uh, problems on the table from the beginning. Excellent advice. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. And, and especially in the way you described it, that uh, you know, it shouldn't take over your pitch deck, it shouldn't take over the conversation, but you want to be open and transparent and highlight that you thought about these issues and you have solutions, right? Because yeah. once you address them and they're out in the open, you can take control and keep control of the conversation and say, these are the solutions we've come up with. And that's why we think we can mitigate this issue. Exactly. Jan, uh, absolute pleasure talking to you. So knowledgeable. Thank you so much. And uh, I think there's a lot to be learned here for anyone who is in the B2C business who needs to convince customers to maybe uh, switch supplier or, you know, uh, try something new because we all have the challenge that um, change is always difficult to initiate. We all as human beings like things the way they are often. Yes. Um, so we need to give them a good reason and that reason is usually communicated, uh, you know, it must be communicated in the right way in order to work and, and you guys have really mastered this so thanks for sharing your insights with us today thanks Oliver for having me take care <laughs> bye